Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today, we'll be talking to Jason Dole of Worldbook. Jason is a proven innovator with an eye on the future and almost 20 years of experience in programming and software development. Before joining iconic educational publishing and e-learning company Worldbook in 2017, he had already gained eight years of experience in bringing emerging technologies into the educational space. He's been praised countless times over for having business skills as strong as technical abilities, making him, in one colleague's words, the ultimate web professional. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Adam, for having me as well. Absolutely. So I think we can jump right in here. Uh, the past 20 years have seen exponential growth in technology. Can you talk a little bit about your work and, and how it shifted along with the rapid pace of change? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think uh, one of the main drivers in that is just speed to market. Um, you know, the rapid change in the tooling that we used to have. Um, you know, the tooling has changed dramatically in the last 20 years Absolutely. to where you you, could ha- you needed much bigger teams to accomplish things. And now I like to kind of look at it as you need more of a SWAT team that can do, and the, the stuff they can do with the tooling is remarkable compared to, you know, when I first started. Absolutely. Do you remember when you first started how big those teams were? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Size, I mean, we, you know, we were doing 20 to 50 people on one team. Now, yeah. you know, it's uh, more or less kind of along the lines of the Amazon role of you know no big no teams bigger than two pizzas that can feed right um and it just the the power that we give them at the fingertips with all the automation today is unmatched where it was and i think it's going to continue that way um you know where it's really focused on getting the right people in the right places than the size of the team in overall fantastic and I, I know one of the things that is part of that in the technology side, especially in the development world, world is application lifecycle management. Talk a little bit about the tools that kind of how you've seen those shift over, over time periods. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the one, two, some of the biggest things are just the continuous integration and continuous deployment that's available now, um, especially with the cloud and the, the different tooling that each provider is providing to make it even easier for companies to integrate with that, um, you know, speed things up dramatically. I mean, you're talking, you know, like say Amazon releases almost every few seconds or could, you know, now the goal isn't really to get to there, but, you know, how do you turn around things when you can, when you need to type deal? Um, and, you know, the speed of that is a differentiator for all different companies of how fast you innovate. It's iterative development that each company needs to to be relevant. Absolutely. I keep going back to, in my, my head, those big emails that used to get sent out, you know, announcing to the entire company that a new release was coming. It was, a big, it was such a big deal. It was you know, every six months or every quarter, mm-hmm. and everybody went, you know, was on pins and needles making sure that it felt like Y2K a little bit <laughs> every single time. And that's the way it used to be. It was, you, know, yeah. you, you didn't really do uh, small improvements faster. It was more of how do we put everything in one or two releases for the whole year because we don't want to touch production and cause outages and all this, but the tooling really Really is flip that whole uh, thought process on, on the flip side. Absolutely. So one of the things about d- development, especially on 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 your career journey, because I'm interested in that, you've got a deep, rich history, kind of rooted in in, in development. Um, talk talk to me a little bit about what drew you into business and and, to, and technology, specifically on the side of education. Yeah, I think you know to really 
get a good grasp of uh, what your teams are doing, you need to know, be there yourself and do that work. And so when you're in technology, that was the thing that I always had an eye on moving up to leadership, but being a developer to truly understand what I'm asking my developers to do overall so that, you know, I can always have a, what I call a zip on my fastball, even though it might be a little slower pitch softball today, but, um, you know, of truly understanding what I'm requiring my developers to do. Um, what has gotten me into education, I think you were saying too, um, as well as just, I've never seen an industry that you can have such a profound effect on future generations and different things that we can do and accomplish at World Book, you know, you can see across the country and the impact you're having on children um, to prepare them for a global economy. I mean, I think that's one of the bigger shifts in 20 years is, you know, you're not competing against the people that are next door to you anymore. You're competing against people from China, from India, um, from all over the world. And, you know, how do you best prepare them to understand and be able to adapt to the ever-changing world absolutely and it, was there one thing that drew you to to that specifically was there i mean did was it a, did you get recruited or did, did you just say you know what I'd, I'd like to be in this industry it's drawing me to I, it. i'm always a lifelong learner and you know I, I just i truly cherish and think you know I, the difference that we can make to humanity in, in a nutshell is through education um you know that is one of the biggest tools that we do have to make the impact that's needed for us to keep moving forward you know as a humanity as a show Absolutely. So when you transition into the, the publishing world, uh, into your current position as VP of technology, what did you learn about your role uh, of leadership and really driving innovation and what you had to do? Yeah, it, it really starts at the top. I mean, it really, you know, when you come in um, trying to get everybody to realize it's okay to what I say, fail fast, fail forward. You know, the only way we're going to truly innovate is if we're pushing the boundaries um, and getting from that reactive mode to that proactive mode. And then how do you instill that for people that have been there for potentially 40 years, some of them, how do you shift that focus and that paradigm and get them energized? Because that's really what the key to the leader is, is trying to enable them to be successful at what they're doing and giving them the right tools to innovate, but also getting them to buy into your philosophy, you know, getting them to realize automation is your friend, not your enemy. You know, you, you want to be more productive, not less productive. So, you know, getting that shift out of, um, what I would say, people thought you were going to automate them out of a job, making them realize that, no, this makes you more valuable with what you're doing because now you're doing the work of one or two people together. Absolutely. And, and I love what you said about the act, active uh, or proactive versus reactive. I, I think that's such an important point because it really focuses on, on being in the driver's seat of innovation as opposed to somebody who's just kind of a, a, a bystander. So t- talk to me a little about, I know you all have, have done a, a great job of, of infusing technology into once was a, a really a business that revolved around just the publishing of you know, educational content. Talk to me a little about some about some of the, the technologies that you've been able to deploy since you've been there um, as it relates to the educational content. Yeah, um, you know, it's we're really starting to understand uh, what needs to be done and what laying that foundation. Um, one of the bigger things that we're doing right now is we're moving everything to the cloud, you know, to try how to enable uh, the different products of the future and how do we pivot as fast as we can. I think that the cloud has proven time and time again, and it only gets better as it goes on with the different services. Um, you know, we specifically like AWS, but, you know, the Azure and a couple others are pretty close to that. But, you know, it gives you the opportunity to move with the market, um, you know, in traditional data centers and trying to get 
get hardware set up and all these things. You're talking months by the time we got approved and set up and installed. Now I can do that same thing in a matter of seconds and then get us moving forward and really focusing on the product. Because right. that's the key is, you know, this, the infrastructure is more of the commodity nowadays, whereas the product and how do you get the feature set is really what the differentiator is. And I'm assuming that the business impact on that moving to the cloud is really just being able to distribute your products to a much larger audience base, much faster and much more efficiently. Is that, is that absolutely? Accurate? And then you know that plays a, a big role into international. Um, you know, we're the, Amazon provides different data centers all over the world, and we are an international company, so we have to service content to Australia, South Africa, China, India. You know, and when you have data centers all located in the United States only. It, it does really put you at a disadvantage for trying to service those customers and keep them happy because they want the same experience as people domestically want. It's just you have to be a little more strategic on how you can get there being still cost effective. And I'm curious, uh, moving to the cloud and, and having that focus, how much does analytics how much is that part of the conversation? How much does analytics get enhanced based on being able to, to be that agile with, with the, how you deploy? Yeah, I think analytics is one of the number one drivers. I mean, you have to be data-driven nowadays. I mean, you, you can sit there and you can analyze stuff, you know, to the opposite, but at the end of the day, the data should be driving what you can do there. Um, and it really comes down to, you know, what's, what's getting your most usage and what's not. You know, so what features are better used and whatnot, and then how, you know, where our customer bases are big, too. And so how do you provide, because not only the analytics, you need that customer feedback. So how do you tie both of those together and the product decisions and the, the decisions to move to the cloud? Is, you know, that's where you kind of get, it's an art, not necessarily science. Absolutely. I know um, it, it's fascinating because I, I, I pay a lot of attention to the different cloud platforms and solutions, and I've, I've been fascinated with all these cognitive services that are coming out on top of the different cloud solutions because you have everything from sentiment analysis so you can analyze you know, um, uh, you know, people's feedback on a product, for example, um, you know, in, in the form of that engine that can kind of analyze and that spit that back out as data to a, to a, a particular customer. Um, and, and also just being able to, um, like natural language processing um, scenarios, especially when you talk about localization on a larger scale for application. Have you seen any of that stuff, and is that something you've thought about? Those absolutely are products and features and services that we want to take advantage of. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that when we're, we're going to AWS, that, you know, the how you translation, you know, when we're going to these different, yes, they want English, but they also want the translation of that as well. Right now, the tools outside of, I would say, the cloud really are rudimentary, pretty basic. You know, they're rough around the edges, um, and, you know, when you get to AWS, these type of tools, they're improving every day, and they're getting better, and they're more human-like, you know, and they can do the different translations, you know, in the drop of a dime. So that's that's pretty neat. Absolutely. I, I, I remember World Book. Um, books as a kid, and I, I remember you know, reading them, and e- even seeing them now t- today. There's so much nostalgia behind that, and there's so much really great, rich content. You know, World Book had had a stranglehold on on, on kind of that that market, which was a, a great thing. But it, like many large companies, trying to shift off of that and stay stay innovative. Well, is, especially um, when the landscape changes. I mean, uh, you know, the whole landscape of how information flowed and where how it's accessible completely changed from you know twenty years ago today and it just is getting that pace is getting faster and faster but the information that we present is still relevant in so many different uh contextual examples it's just how do you get the right medium at the right place for people that need that information 
Absolutely. So I, I guess in a follow-up to that is, what do you think the most important thing is for educators and publishers to do to, to, to be forward-leaning when it comes to innovation or, or new technologies? How do they embrace those? Um, it's just, I think they have the same struggles we do is, you know, the teachers themselves, um, you know, it needs to come from the top. You know, the principals and the you know, superintendents and these people need to give the environment that these the teachers have the ability to innovate because my biggest concern with that is if we don't innovate, you know, we will start to be passed with our education system. And if we already have in so many other, you know, math and science, you can go down the stems and whatnot. We're lacking for countries that there's no reason we should outside of our non-centralized approach to schooling and all these things and, you know, that what is expected from that. But, you know, the only way they can embrace it is if it's coming down from the top. It's no different than a company in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And in some cases, it, it's interesting on the education side because I was mentioning to someone the other day that you know, so much of my early exposure to computers was through either school or through work. Because early on, especially when computers were just coming to the forefront, you, you had the Apple II at, at, at school, um, and, you, and you'd work on it. Or you might have first exposure to the, you know, kind of the word processing program on a software at work, and you had to type something up. But that was the norm back then. And you, you the first exposure was at work or at school, and you didn't have it at home, per se. And then when the, the, the consumer got more savvy and market demand became um, much higher for, for some of those products in home. You started seeing the PC in the home, then obviously the mobile device. Now that paradigm has shifted completely. Now Absolutely. consumers are driving that pattern. So when you mention top-down, it's interesting to me because it feels like th- there should be t- top-down pressure for sure, but there also is this groundswell of consumers' expectations changing, their level of savviness around devices. The, everybody has a mobile phone. Everybody you know, has their favorite apps that they work with and they're, they're pretty fluent with. And then what do you know? They get to work in school, and, and they're, they're much slower in, in kind of second – you know, second par to uh, what the, what they deal with at work. So. Well, and that's one of the bigger challenges. You know, everywhere these kids are, they're fully stimulated everywhere they go. And all of a sudden, you put them in a classroom and you you almost destimulate them and say, "Here, read this book <laughs> and you know, answer these questions." And it's just like a lot of kids are just kind of getting lost in that mix because everywhere else, you know, they're overstimulated with, you know, technology and these things. And so how do you find that balance where, you know, to me, it's kind of that medium zone to where the kids will be perfectly stimulated enough to where it's not too challenging or it's too easy. You know, how do you find that? Because, uh, like, one student is different than another. You know, one might be an A student, one might be a C student. Whereas our today, our approach is one bullet. You know, we just fire out and it, we have A students, C students, and we don't really adapt what I kind of call adaptive learning for each student. Absolutely. So, so speaking of which, that adaptive learning, what's exciting to you about new technologies that you feel kind of fit the world of publishing and education in terms of, you know, different things that you've seen or what has the biggest implication over the next three to five years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I can point to one technology to say that would have the biggest implication, but I kind of think it's going to be a combination of all of them, where, you know, you have your augmented reality and your virtual reality coming out and, you know, the display and engagement. You have machine learning and AI that could really be geared towards your adaptive learning so that I am serving up different content depending on the, the student's ability and how smart they are, and then that big data on the back end to say, you know, how do you analyze this and stuff, and how do you adapt to the changing environment there, because you're going to need to know that statistic yourself, and how do you engage then the students or the teachers to leverage that type of information, because they'll never 
replace the teacher. It's just going to make it more of a personal one-on-one adaptability with the student as the teacher can scale in that sense. Because right now, you know, the teacher can only do so much. And then so you're the kids that get left behind, or sometimes the teacher's age. How does technology fill that gap so that the teacher can get more insight to every student? I love that. Absolutely. So what are some of the most useful innovations that you've seen in the educational publishing A world that, that exists today? Uh, I, I think really think the emergence of augmented reality, you know, and virtual reality of being able to dive into an environment that students can relive or re-see, um, you know, what happened at that moment in history or things like that. There were, before, there really wasn't possible except for a TV. You know, you watch a video. Sure. Well, that really, most of the time when people put on a TV, students were playing around, doing whatever they want. Yeah. But now you really have that... Um, the technology can embrace and fully encompass that uh, that experience. Yeah, and I, I rem- I'm laughing because I remember the the big the big. Uh um, TV monitor that they would wheel in, and every all the kids would get excited because it was like, yes. oh, we get to watch TV. Yeah, there's no learning here. And it's like, no, that's not what we're trying to do. Like, I mean, I get the concept. You know, we're trying to learn here, but problem is when you have, you know, let's say K through eight, you know, they're oh, this is great. I'm shutting off my brain, and I want to be yep. entertained now. You yeah, know, that's the exactly. key. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Good stuff. So, uh, you you've been praised for your ability to create collaborative culture. Uh, what role do you think collaboration, both internally and with other companies? plays in innovation? I think it plays a very critical, um, and I think you kind of can uh, put even weight on both of them, um, because, you know, internally, you know, you need to know that you are um, backing up the different people that are trying to innovate, and how do you support them, and give them the right resources, and then constant collaboration, because it's not, there's no magic bullet here that, you know, this means innovation. If you do this, every time you're going to have innovation, and it's really a dynamic process, and then sooner or later, after a while, you will start to see some results, but it's hard to predict when that innovation is going to happen or how it's going to happen, and that's where I think a lot of the external uh, collaboration, you know, when you go to trade shows or you go to meetups or you go to these things, and everybody's trying to solve a lot of the same problems when you start to that's break right. it down, especially with technology. Um, you know, education is no different. Um, a lot of these things are the same problems that you can go from each market to market, and they're all they're all struggling with, um, you know. But how how does each market attack it differently? You know, what's creativeness here? You know, how do you do this over there? And you know, when you're all working together, and especially in Chicago, is a, a great city for that. That's really starting to find its footing as a technology hub. You know, when you start to compare it versus the coast cities, um, you know, I think it's really making a good push to to be in the same tier. Absolutely. So along that that similar line. Is there a bold prediction that you have about the future of your industry um, in, in terms of what you see coming? I mean, I know we talked about machine learning. You mentioned augmented virtual reality. But if you had to pr- predict what 10 years, 20 years is going to look like, um, how would you describe education? Does it look the same? Does it look different? I think it looks vastly different. Um, you know, and I think it's traditionally going to gravitate towards you know, not necessarily a single platform, but a major platform that can do a lot of these things that we just talked about with the different technologies, that they can get the adaptive learning so that it's more personalized for each student, so they feel like I am getting the attention I needed. And then in that same platform, you would be able to plug yourself into dinosaur time you know boom you're sitting there in vr and you're you know you, you can go through and you're seeing the experience of what it would like to be with dinosaurs and you know with the information probably presenting to itself you know here's a transverse rex here's all the thing you know the, the typical encyclopedia content that you would want to get at that point but you know how do you encompass all these technologies and whatnot on how the platform and it's not there yet i mean there are companies that are trying to get there um but i think 
we really were going to be plugged in. But the the one thing I will say is, on the flip side, there has to be a good combination of real world too. We can't, you know, technology is not going to solve everything when it just comes to common sense or these other things. And so, how do you balance that? You know, I think it's going to be the challenge we face. Well said. So, last question: Uh, What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? I don't know. There's specifically one app. I'd say for you know my work, it's uh, Dropbox, just because it has everything I need right when I need it. You know, and it gives me that moment of everything at my fingertips. But uh, you know, just normal day to day is ways. I mean, driving in Chicago, we were just talking before here is you know something that a nine mile drive could take you an hour and a half or it could take you ten minutes. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you know, how do you know and how do you adapt? Because you know, if you're driving anywhere, just time of day and uh, the seasonality. Absolutely. Well, thank you for taking the time with us today. It's always a pleasure. Um, is there somewhere the listeners can kind of keep um, uh, contact with you, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter, or is there a specific handle that you have? Or um, Mainly LinkedIn would be definitely the best way. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you, you Adam, time. for having me, too. I appreciate it. Yeah. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.